For sports content from the biggest leagues and competitions across the world, look no further than Reuters Connect, Reuters online news content platform. Reuters Connect makes finding the sports content you need easy, whether it's in-depth reporting from Reuters journalists or access to video highlights from around the world. Bring the world of sport directly to your workplace with Reuters Connect. For more information and a free trial, visit ReutersConnect.com. Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Ricardo. Each week, we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Haro inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, and we are keeping score... March Madness is here, an American sports phenomena. Two years on the sidelines, actually two full years, one major tournament and all the revenue it generates. Now 150 million people can't wait to figure out their brackets and get social again. We'll talk about all the deals, three to one. Three. Number three, cable TV saw its highest share of time spent in the second half of 2020 versus the year prior. 71% of that attributed to the consumption of cable versus broadcast and premium networks in the third quarter, according to Effect TV's latest television viewership report. Key findings said Comcast households saw a shift toward live TV in the second half of 2020, 89% of daily viewership. Over the past three full years of viewing data, time spent with cable networks and live viewing has been up or flat year over year every quarter. Why? Well, election. Second half of 2020 at 25%, up from 16% the same time the previous year. Cable TV news. TV viewing in the second half of the year, impacted dramatically by the unique circumstances of 2020. Particularly interesting to see how live viewing surged as a result of some of those factors. Add sports in the fourth quarter as well. It's really significant. Two. The NFL and the Players Association set the cap, salary cap, at $182.5 million, about an 8% decline. The number reflects 2020 revenue projections from this year and results from last year. Effectively $12 billion this next year versus 16 last year. Players still have to absorb about $27.5 million per team in losses at some point in the coming seasons. The difference between the true cap of 155 and the artificial one of 182.5. Salary growth probably held back by that, but not for Dak Prescott. Four-year, $160 million deal. Look for more free agents to line up, get their dollars. Certainty today is more important than any long-term financial planning if you're a competitive owner around the NFL. One. Number one, baseball spring training 2020 canceled a year ago, but now three weeks before the regular season, most ballparks opening with fans in stands. The Rangers allow full capacity, they say, 40,000 people. Things continuing to shift back to normal. The Pirates, Phillies, Giants will allow 20% of their fan base. Marlins, Diamondbacks, Brewers, Rockies, Astros, 25%. Royals, Indians, Cardinals, 30%. MLB also implementing more rigorous safety protocols than last year. Players can't attend indoor gatherings of 10 or more people and not permitted to leave the hotel during road trips other than for team activities, medical reasons, exercise, or approved dining. Well, it's for the good of everybody, at least until vaccines take hold. 
and that's number one. Let's stay with baseball for a minute. Because last year, right before the pandemic shut down, we looked at spring training in Florida and Arizona, 15 teams in each, about $130 million total spring training economic impact, many people coming in for vacations and staying. Then the pandemic hit. Now we're coming back. Matt Slatis, the general manager of the ballpark of the Palm Beaches, the park that was opened in 2017 and had the interesting coincidence of hosting the Astros and Nationals, who were back-to-back World Series champions, and they share that facility. But we talked to Matt about so much more, about coming back, about youth sports, about other revenue, about income, about the future. Here's Matt Slatis. One year later, it's all a gift. I remember we were sitting here at the whiteboard looking at all of the activities, and now the whiteboard, in the truest sense of the word, is white. You've got spring training. But first of all, give me your kind of high-minded perspective of getting through the last year. What, what, what do you remember most? I guess the, the interior of my home. Um, but all kidding aside, uh, you know, fighting through a, a challenging year, both personally and professionally, hearing stories from sport business professionals around the globe, uh, many out of work, many dealing with salary reductions, watching baseball, sports on TV with no fans. And when the calendar flipped this year and the new year began, for the first time, I I had this kind of feeling of hope springs eternal and baseball will be back. And here we sit in the middle of March and we've played spring training games with fans and there's a light at the end of this tunnel. So I couldn't be more thrilled where we are a year later. Um, And hopefully at this time next year, we're welcoming full capacity fans into our ballparks all around the country. And, 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 you know, talk about spring training for just a couple more minutes. Rob Manfred fought hard for you guys. Tony Clark, it was a big labor issue as well. Pitchers and catchers reported on the on the 12th. And you've had spring training games. You're going to continue to have spring training games, protocol or not. And so I understand how important it is for Major League Baseball to have the games. But what about South Florida? What about the economic impact in Palm Beach County? We were, we were on hold for a little while about having games. But now we're through it, and the economics are, are there. But... We don't have as many people in the stands, and therefore not as many people making the trips. We know we don't have as many people in the stands. We've got just under 1,600 fans here every day at the ballpark of the Palm Beaches. And I can say every day because as soon as we put tickets on sale, those 1,600 seats for both the Astros and the Nationals completely sold out. But what we're starting to hear from the hoteliers and the restaurateurs is that they're seeing people come through their gates again. They're seeing heads in beds and butts in seats. And sure, it's not to the degree that it would have been in 2019 or even at the beginning, the onset of 2020, but it's certainly at the highest level they've seen since that point. So we're thrilled that people are opening their eyes to baseball, that they're coming back out to the ballpark, and that we're really stimulating this Palm Beach County and South Florida economy And one more thing that I'll add is it it goes far beyond spring training. So as soon as spring training ends and as soon as minor league camp ends in April, this facility here, the ballpark of the Palm Beaches, is jam-packed with youth sports events, concerts, beer festivals. We'll be doing it all this year, and while some of those things might look a little bit different, we're still bringing people in from out of town um, to spend their money in South Florida. Let's talk about the ballpark as it relates to those activities, youth sports uh, primarily. Uh, It is one of the hardest hit 
of any of the sectors of the industry because it's so dependent on travel and it's so dependent on kids and parents going to hotels and all. Where's that business today and uh, when is that recovering, would you think? You know, I think a lot of the recovery is there. I think that particularly when you look at South Florida and you look at the size of the state of Florida, there were people that wanted to travel here from Ocala, from Orlando, from Jacksonville. They would have been here had we allowed it, had the county allowed it all throughout 2020. Uh, We took the approach that let's hold off on doing events until we know more about this disease, until we know how to operate safely. And when we do and when we feel good about it, we'll bring this business back. So the tournament providers, the perfect games of the world, the prospect selects, the prospect wires, um, they're they're chomping at the bit. And I, I can't speak to their financial position and their business, but it, it certainly seems like youth sports in South Florida is, is ripe. And I think that as we start to continue to see these viral counts go down, and as more vaccines enter the market, we're going to see more and more folks getting on airplanes and, and coming out here, and that's really good for everybody. So you Sports won spring training and leave behind another. You're not a minor league ballpark per se. Roger Dean up the, up the road is. But also you're a concert venue. So talk a little bit about the concert world and how that impacts you. So we're we're negotiating for a show here in probably June or July, and I think that you know we're not going to see the Bruce Springsteens of the world, but we might see that act that could normally sell twelve to fifteen thousand tickets. Uh, artists want to perform. You know, performers want to be in front of a crowd, and that's how they make their their income. And they haven't been able to do it in a year. So I think that we will position ourselves to host a two to three thousand person event with lawn seating. Um, country music, you know, things that could be successful in South Florida. We're looking at that. We're excited to bring back our our beer bowl, or brew bowl rather, in Q4 this year. I think that as youth sports continues to proliferate itself in the market, as live entertainment comes back, as we see the Marlins open up the ballpark, the Rays open up the ballpark, everybody will become more and more comfortable doing things outside of their home. And as that happens, we'll start to continue to program this facility here at the ballpark of the Palm Beaches with more public-facing events. In May and June, Seton Hall published a really interesting study. The people weren't ready to hop on or hop off because we weren't coming back right then anyway. But they said 71% of people surveyed would not come to games until a vaccine was uh, effective and there. We see the vaccines happening, but it's not in everybody's arms yet. What does it take to make facilities safe and have people come back? I'm not just talking about the governor and the government opening to 20% Chicago or a full stadium in, in Globe Life. I'm talking about the perception of fan safety, uh, the safe stadium. What, what does it look like and how do you make sure people feel it's safe? You know, when our season was cut short last year on March 12th, I'll never forget telling our food and beverage guys, don't clean anything up. We're going to be back here in two weeks. <laughs> Hindsight is twenty twenty, and I, I know how wrong I was. But really, from that day forward, we started thinking about how do we welcome people here and do it safely. And we thought about it until we were blue in the face, and then we went back and thought about it some more. And it goes all the way down the operational chain right to the types of chemicals that we're using throughout this facility. 
Are they all EPA certified? Does the CDC recommend them? Are we using non-toxic chemicals that will kill this COVID viral infection, but also kill everything else that they <laughs> need to kill? Um, how are we applying them? How are we keeping our staff safe? So every staff member in this ballpark every day is wearing a KN95 mask. We had to purchase 15,000 of them just to get through spring training. We ripped every sink and toilet out of this facility and replaced them with touchless units. We have a plexiglass tree here. I mean, we have more plexiglass at this complex than mm. I knew could be produced. Every member of the media has essentially a six-foot stall. There's a piece of plexiglass at every concession register, at every food and beverage location, at every merchandise location. All of our ticketing has gone completely digital. Our parketing has gone completely digital. We're no longer able to accept cash here, so credit cards are the only form of payment uh, accepted at the facility. We have removed um, ketchup and mustard pumps, as an example, and replaced them with single-serve packs. So, you know, it's not just open the gates and put people in the seating bowl. Uh, we spent two weeks measuring seat locations. How wide is a seat in particular areas? Can you make sure that when fans come to the game, they're six feet or greater uh, in distance between them and any other fans? You know, our, call it a Bible, our Bible of operating procedures here is over 100 pages long. And I will tell you, myself, my wife, our three-year-old, we were probably the most cautious COVID people on the planet. I have not eaten in a restaurant since before spring training started mm. in 2020. Uh, I feel completely safe here. I really do. I see people wearing their masks. I see the fans being respectful. I see the staff being diligent and efficient. Um, and I, I see Major League Baseball on the field, and it, it really is a beautiful thing because the game is going on while fans are respectful and wanting to stay safe. Uh, and this ballpark is set up to give them that safe environment that they need to return to live events. The interesting thing about that amazing soliloquy from Matt's latest is that it's not only sincere and comprehensive, but this he took a ballpark that was opened in 2017. So it's not an old ballpark that you had to make into new standards. This was a ballpark that was uh, state-of-the-art when it opened uh, four years ago, but yet you still had to COVID it. You had to increase the standards of it, correct? We did, and, and those standards don't increase inexpensively. So hmm. we put a, a significant uh, amount of financial capital and a significant amount of human capital and time into getting this building ready. And really, we didn't know if it would need to be ready for February or for March or for April. Um, and all of these things have been in, in play now and in process for so long that when they did say, okay, spring training is a go, pitchers and catchers get there, uh, we were ready. It's interesting, and I've been an advocate for 30 years of public-private partnerships, so this is not something new, but when you think about what's going to happen after the trillion, uh, uh, $2 trillion initiative that Joe Biden just signed, and then everybody's now talking about build it back better and some infrastructure dollars that may permeate to everybody. And it's also ironic that the Roaring Twenties may be a different Roaring Twenties when you think about the post- Spanish flu epidemic in 1919 and how it killed 600,000, which is ironic, 
and yet Yankee Stadium, public money, there was a whole effort to gear back using infrastructure, and now everybody's got to conform to state safe stadium of future standards. It'll be an interesting discussion about how infrastructure could be used to kind of help make public buildings safer, don't you think? I, I do, and I, I agree with you. I think that these public-private partnerships can often um, build hostility when the, the process mm-hmm. begins. But when you step back and look at it, you know, this ballpark being here has allowed Palm Beach County to set up a COVID-19 test site uh, on our property. They've literally tested hundreds of thousands of individuals since April 1st. Uh, that testing continues here every day, all day, while spring training is going on. So the Nationals in particular, uh, they've been very conscientious and courteous to ensure that testing continues here on their side of the complex, but it, it does not interfere with anything we do here. Uh, and the Astros the same. You know, Both clubs said nothing we do is going to interrupt COVID testing. It's a, a vital service and it needs to continue. Um, and, and that to me is really the beauty of it all. You know, Major League Baseball is being played here, but this facility is still a resource to every man, woman, and child in Palm Beach County. Final question, and it is requires a little bit of re- reflection. Everybody will have better answers down the road when we're finally done with this, but nobody wants to say this pandemic is good, but there were some, I think, positive things to come out of it. People sharing information and people believing we're all in this together. At least that's from my perspective. Do you have similar perspectives about anything we can take away from this incredibly terrible pandemic that might be positive? You know, I I think to your point, we recognize uh, in a lot of cases the time we've been fortunate to spend with our families. You know, I spent the summer teaching my three-year-old how mm. to swim um, while keeping a computer and a phone next to the pool for Zoom meetings. I I think that there's always a plus in that. And, you know, I I hate to make this analogy and say that this COVID-19 pandemic reminds me of 9-11. But as soon as 9-11 hit last year, I was living in New York City. You recall guys with AK-47 standing on the street corners. You recall the military being in all of our airports. You know, some of those security things stayed in place. We now have the TSA. We now treat travel differently. We now um, focus our efforts in, you know, different realms of national security. I think that some of the technological advances that we've had to create because of COVID, much like after 9-11, some of them will stick. So I think that buildings will continue to be cashless going forward. I think that we've probably all touched our final paper ticket that we use to get into venues. I think that no matter what, we are going to clean with EPA-certified disinfectants. Um, On top of all that, I think that we've seen that sports, even though it's big business, can continue to be something that unites us all. You know, you saw the NF, or you saw Major League Baseball play without fans. You saw the NBA get in the bubble. Um, they created this content that people wanted, they wanted to see, and they could do it from the comfort of their homes. So I will never say COVID was good. I'm so thankful that we're back at the ballpark. I'm so thankful that opening day will feature fans in hopefully all 30 Major League parks. Uh, and I'm thankful that the vaccines are out there, and hopefully this is starting to 
be in the rearview mirror for all of us because it's been a really tough time. As I said to Matt, I'm hoping we're not sitting there year three with a third interview talking about what happened in year two's lockdown. Probably not going to happen. Let's talk about the Tech Minute. CBS Sports and Turner Sports laid out specs for the NCAA March Madness Live, the streaming and second screen destinations for March Madness, debuting an all-new season design and cohesive multi-platform viewing experience with an emphasis on dynamic live video viewing. The updated design, according to Synopsys, features a reimagined game center with all-new look and seamless integration into connected devices and mobile devices as well. The launch will all, all, launch also ushers in the debut of the catch-up presented by AT&T 5G, giving fans a recap of key moments from live games and the return of the fan-favorite Fast Break by AT&T 5G and Nissan. All of the sponsors involved and additional sponsors on connecting streaming devices include Invesco, which will serve as sponsor for Google TV, and Powerade, sponsoring the Xbox app. Streaming, streaming, streaming. That's what we hear about. And that's your Tech Minute. Finally, the power of sports. Good Sports 5. And as usual, during the pandemic, we have five issues. Some NFL teams discovering an additional marketing win at their stadium vaccine clinics. People are eager to get vaccinated, thrilled to host them back at Gillette Stadium, where the six championship banners have become a popular backdrop to many photo ops before the guests leave. The NFL says it'll soon eclipse one million shots administered in 15 team-hosted clinics. More online soon. Miami Marlins and their foundation launched an anti-racism curriculum. It'll be delivered virtually and intended for high school and above-aged athletes. Sporting KC putting a charity on the front of its shirt. The primary jersey became available for last Wednesday. The Children's Mercy Kansas City logo appears on the left sleeve for the first time. The Compass Minerals logo adorns the right sleeve. Interesting perspective, the Victory Project. DoorDash, announced made by women, an in-app and digital platform, aims to champion women-owned businesses and uplift women's voices, uh, own entrepreneurship, basketball, broadcast, and otherwise, DoorDash empowering women. Finally, the NHL named its February MVT, Eastview Middle School teacher Jeremy Spink named the most valuable teacher presented by SAP for the month of February. Winners announced on a regular basis. Again, a great idea with the NBA and and other sports to follow. Kudos to the NHL. Well, that's our show for this week. We'd like to thank Matt Slatis for putting up with us for a second year. We'd like to thank all of those who put the show together like to thank you for watching and listening and join us next week when we continue to keep score. Action Images is the global multimedia sports agency of Reuters. Leagues, teams and federations around the world rely on Action Images to create, distribute and monetize their content. Action Images global footprint means sports media expertise is never far away. For more information, visit Action Images.